Welcome to Not Quite Magic, a Seven Sisters podcast about interpreters. I'm Elena Langdon, and in each episode, I talk to an interpreter about their work. In season one, we address remote interpreting. And after each episode, the Seven Sisters hold a live debrief about the episode. Stay tuned for the end to find out when we'll be doing it for this one. In this episode, I talk to Catherine Allen, a longtime friend and colleague who is well-known in our field and needs no introduction. We spoke back in April of 2020, when the coronavirus pandemic was just starting, and so little was known about how it would affect our profession, not to mention our lives. Listen to our conversation for Catherine's take on remote interpreting and the state of language access back when what seems like a lifetime ago. Thank you for agreeing to be on um, the podcast. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm going to start out with a question that I'm going to ask all of my guests, which is the name. So the name of the podcast is Not Quite Magic. And I am asking all my guests, what does seem like magic to you? And this can be anything. What does, oh, wow, gosh, what does seem like, I mean, like life or personal or any anything, of it? Anything, anything. Okay, well, I, I mean, I only have one story to tell in the COVID time, which is a completely personal story, but that is the story of our eight-year-old spayed husky having a puppy <laughs> a few weeks ago when she went into false heat in January and then about eight days ago went into labor and gave birth to one puppy. That's kind of been the magic in our life, right? I live in the mountains in Eastern California and we have a full pack of Huskies that we do run and sled with. And so this was sort of amazing, <laughs> amazing miracle. So we have one little puppy that we're enjoying during this, during this time. Yeah, my, my oh. kids were looking at that photo this morning and they were like, yeah. oh my God. And then of course the youngest yeah. said, it's a panda. <laughs> It's the puppy <laughs> name's little Judy, and she's our little miracle puppy. But I think in the miracle part, really, is it, just in a time when it's, you know, when we're all there's just so much uncertainty and and, you know, I don't know. I'm not living in fear in any sense, but I I do have one family member that we're really concerned not get COVID because of past history with a lung illness, and so we've got him squirreled away in the you know in the mountains. And there's just a lot of uncertainty about how it's all going to move forward and life feels very uncertain. And then just, just kind of have this basic life will out. This little puppy's coming in, you know, for whatever yep. reason. And it just does a little bit of miracle. So that's been nice. Yep. That, that, is, that is a little bit of magic for yeah. sure. When you talk about what you do professionally in the field of interpreting and translation, what's the short version of what you tell people? The short version, one is that I... I am an interpreter and translator and I work at a community level in my rural area. And so I do, I do interpret at that level, but mostly what I've been doing for the last decade is really two things. One have been to try and take everything I learned from getting a master's in conference interpreting and turn that into teaching in the healthcare and community side, you know, because take take what the benefit of what you get from an MA degree and two years of study and take that out and try and provide support for the vast majority of interpreters who are never going to get to 
go in and get an MA, would, you know, which is, would be the ideal, honestly. And the other thing I do, so, you know, and along in those lines, I do a lot, of, I've somehow gotten involved in writing lots of textbooks and curriculum. So I do a lot of curriculum creation, I teach a lot, and I, I write a lot. And then on the, my Interpret America side, which is an organization I co-founded with Barry Slaughter Olson 10 years ago, it's our, our 10 year anniversary. You know, that's kind of the brand we've used to do whatever we can to, you know, jump up and down with pom-poms and try and raise the profile of our profession inside the profession and outside the profession. So really, I end up between those, between teaching and promoting the profession. Those are kind of the two big things I do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know if that was short, but hey, I'm an interpreter. I never answer anything in a short, concise way. <laughs> yep, I, I know what you mean. Since the focus this season is on remote interpreting, some people have talked about different ways of calling it, and I don't even mean the acronyms. I just mean things like hearing that we could call it virtual interpreting, distance interpreting, online interpreting, or remote interpreting. Those are some of the terms that I've heard floated around, you know, with some people pushing some and others pushing others. Right. What do you do? You have any thoughts on this, or any preferences, or what do you what do you think about that? Oh boy, I think this is a question. If you ever get to interview Barry, you should ask him because he'll have something much more coherent to say. I think that this is it's it's an the fact that we don't know what to call this modality is just symptomatic of a much broader issue our field faces, which is we don't know what to call a lot of things. We don't have agreement over many things. And, you know, I, I think that I'm falling with remote because that's what most, the most people use and understand right now. Does that mean it sh it's what it should be or that there aren't merits to calling it other things? I, you know, I, I understand. I know Evandro is a big proponent for distance interpreting and, and you know, with Kudo and, and he has a lot, he has a very good reason for it. I just don't know if it's going to take hold because we may have already, you know, the ship may already have sailed on the remote interpreting. Ultimately, our international standards organizations will end up with standards on this and make some choices about wording the same way they did between community interpreting and public service interpreting. And interestingly, they chose community interpreting. But, you know, it's a big old wide world. The profession is everywhere and we're going to have variations, I think. I don't know. It's not a very satisfactory answer. I don't have I don't have strong opinions one way or the other right now, but I understand the issues behind it. Yeah, no, it, it's it was just really at, at the level of curiosity because yeah, Evandro and I th and that's what I hear from Europe too, which yeah. is where he was until recently, right? So it, he might be getting it from that. And then you know, Henatu Beninatu from Nimzi, they're pushing the virtual. They're like virtual right. interpreting, virtual interpreting. It's then, the same fight we're having around. Is it on? What? How do you distinguish? Do you call it on-site, face-to-face, person-to-person? When people who do video remote, thank you very much, would like to say, "I'm in the room. You know, I'm there. I'm. It is person-to-person -person still. I'm just not on-site." But you know, I mean, I, I I hear these same argument going round and round with how to talk, how to distinguish even between if you're 
if, if you're being delivered virtually, which is probably the argument for virtual interpreting. But then virtual, to my mind, has that sense of it's not quite real. <laughs> yeah. I, so you just, I don't, you know, I think that we're just going to have to hash it out. It's, this, it's just a sign of a young profession evolving and new technologies coming in and, and, and you know, not, we don't yet know fully what we're going to label all these things. Right. No, I agree. Vir virtual seem, I mean, with virtual reality, it's like how, right. you know. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> so how is it fitting in with what you were doing? Were you already doing some work in remote? Were you talking to people about doing remote? So I, you know, my, because I live at literally at 8,500 feet in the mountains with signal bounced up the canyon off of, you know, dishes, I have not, I have done some remote interpreting, but I have not made it a staple of my personal practice because of that. Because I have, I actually have to go into town and you know make arrangements to be somewhere where I have good connectivity. Because it is, you know, if you don't have connectivity on remote, you, then you can't interpret. It's it's kind of the same thing as if you can't hear or see, you know, in when you're face to face with somebody. You also, or if you can't hear, excuse me, you know, you can't interpret. But, but in terms of remote, you know, on the Interpret America side with, with our conferences and blogging and the projects we've had, you know, we've been talking about remote interpreting for a decade, for a long time. Barry, of course, my business partner is, you know, just a foremost expert on that. And I benefit tremendously from that and have learned a lot. But so, you know, for... We've been looking at the trends and watching how they're playing out and trying to track, you know, okay, how is the pilot program for remote interpreting in courts in California going, for example, or, you know, we just try and stay up on all of that. So I have kind of a broad knowledge of it that I try to share out when I present. And so, so for me in my own personal life in remote, there's been a lot of just sort of trying to educate like hey let's get on top of this let's let's adjust our standards hey professional associations could we please update our ethics and standards or have statements about best practices you know we've needed it for a long time it's too bad we didn't get it before covid now we're all scrambling to do it but either way now i think we're going to get it so so on that level you know remote has has been a big part of my life in terms of working on the, on the educational and healthcare side you know, I, I have, it doesn't, it comes up more if I textbook write or when you train and teach and like trying, you know, in the training side, trying to train people like, let's see what, let's do a simulated telephonic, you know, let's do video interpreting. Let's try and get you ready for this marketplace. But here's how you can get into this field. Here's how you can connect for the master students at times. I'll say, listen, just sign up with a telephonic company for a while. If you, if you haven't actually interpreted, get some practice. It is an entry-level place in the market for interpreting. Whether it should be or not, it's entry-level. And so it's a good place for people to enter in. So remote, this is a modality. It's here. We need to embrace it. We need to really get our handle around best practices. We should be in the driver's seat on this and not just in reactivity mode. And so I do a lot of kind of teaching, I guess, around it more than actual doing it myself, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it and it falls in line with what you've been doing more lately as you you know, as you mentioned, which is less practicing interpreting and really trying to be part of, you know, shaping it and te by teaching yeah. and by by using your 
your voice at Interpret America. This profession is so rich and broad and wide. And Elena, you're somebody who occupies many roles as well. And I feel so lucky to have that. And so for me, I love when I, you know, the interpreting work I do locally, like, because it is a mix. It's a mix of dialogic. And then, you know, it's a mix of, since I am the only trained simul interpreter with her own little equipment that will run around the counties, you know, I end up doing, doing presentations and trainings and things like that. And it just, you know, it keeps you informed <laughs> and not only keeps your skill set going, but it keeps you informed about, okay, how do you actually put this in place in, in areas that don't even know what you do, you know? And, and, and we had, I mean, we've seen one of my local counties, it's just been really, they've really, really struggled to figure out how to do their virtual town hall meetings. And they've, you know, they've used some, some professional interpreters. Now they're back to using their in-house trained interpreters. And they've been practicing in front of everybody how to try and reach, outreach the community. And it's been a little painful to watch. I won't, I won't lie. Oh. It's, it's the same for me in terms of, you know, you, you have the ideal and you have what you teach and what you talk about, and then you have to go out and apply it for your, on the, at a very local basis. And it's, you know, it, but it's small, it's small victories. One client, the first job I did with them for, for an on-site meeting where they brought people from other countries, it's an international organization and they, they were doing, it was, it was, you know, three active languages in the meeting and we were just using tour guide equipment, no booth, nothing. And then when somebody spoke French, you know, the French interpreter would consecutively interpret that into English and then the Portuguese interpreter could, <laughs> you know, so it was like really not great. And, and I was able to convince them, I think it took two meetings, and these are meetings every six months, you know, to pay more to get true simul equipment. Right. you know, have booths. Right. So they loved it. And then, then came the, the town hall, you know, meeting. Right. And I couldn't convince them at the time to use an RSI platform, even though everybody was all around the world. So right. they still wanted me to go locally, me and the French interpreter. And then came, came COVID. <laughs> and so we tried, it didn't work in right. Zoom. It was a failed attempt. So they had their meeting with 1,300 people and they didn't have any interpreting. Right. I think it's, I mean, I think it's both a time of, you know, it's tremendous frustration because of course we're going to see spaghetti literally being heaved against the wall, you know, in huge amounts, you know, with, with many clients that suddenly realize we need your service. But I also think one of the things that you know, Barry and I have been talking about literally since the very beginning was the need to make our profession more visible, like to have, you know, I want to be able, I want that day to arrive when I say I'm an interpreter and people know what that is just the same way they know I am a teacher, you know, I am a, a, a journalist, like they have some idea what that is. And I feel like we do have this tremendous opportunity, you know, right now, which many which I feel like we're also taking in our own way. I mean, everybody's out there trying to address the urgency of not losing standards of, of, of maintaining some kind of professional message as much as possible as we expand out now in the healthcare settings in particular, you have at least some kind of pathway. 
to 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 ramping up remote because so many hospitals and bigger health systems have telephonic access already. They may have, you know, they've got their on-site interpreters who may are also be doing some kind of remote in an internal call center, or they are, you know, they're using some kind of remote service. And so there's a little bit more something to hang, you know, to, to scaffold on, like there's something to actually scaffold up onto. And, and that when things are no longer in such a crisis mode, I can see that kind of solidifying. But where I see it being so new is this, you know, in the, in the, in February, if you talked about remote interpreting, you would talk about, oh, that's VRI in the United States, immigrants, consecutive, it's all, you know, sort of dialogic and meeting-based. And, but, you know, in Europe, that's where they've got the RSI, the remote simultaneous going on. And really, that's just not a thing. And even though I have felt for a long time that it should be a thing, and even though we've seen some piloting of it, it just has had no, like, no, like, no, we don't need simultaneous, you know, and nobody's paying attention to it. And then all of a sudden, overnight, every health department, every mayor's office, every incident command team, every you know, city had to suddenly figure out a way to communicate virtually, not just with people who don't speak English, but with anyone. First of all, they had to figure out, you know, so everybody's gone to these Zoom meetings, you know, these virtual town hall meetings. And then as afterthoughts, I'm seeing so bubbling together of how, how do you, oh, how do we make language work with that, you know? And so then now every, you know, I think what, what most people are doing is, they're using some kind of webinar service and doing the classic, we're going to add phone lines for people with other languages to call on, or we're going to try out the Zoom, you know, remote simultaneous function and, and the actual RSI platforms, which are interpreter friendly and, and show the kind of working standard we all hope, wish we had, right? Those aren't anywhere to be seen on the public sector because they're completely overwhelmed, you know, just trying to deal with the upgrade in the ramping up of their own client base on the on the conference side. So what I wanted to say about that was just like this, this, you know, we went from zero, there's just no penetration of remote simultaneous interpreting on the, on the health side, on the community interpreting side. And now all of a sudden it needs to be instantaneous. And that's where I'm seeing the biggest breakdown, right? So there's like, you have that one, you have that outward communication to the community where there never really was language access built in very well. And, and you know, where there's just nothing and, no, and there's no guidance and we're all scrambling and language services companies are just scrambling, 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 right? To try and, you know, client by client by client get something together. And, and then on the hospital side, I think there's a little bit more of a coherent, you know, push but then if you leave the hospital setting you know go out to the schools there's hardly any use of remote at all from what I can tell anecdotally I mean we've been asking on our listserv that we have with educational interpreters and you know nobody they had they might have they might have some use of language service companies for on-site but there just wasn't any remote to begin with so they're in the same boat right but but post you know COVID and during the COVID many 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 people who never thought about how language access actually actually happens, especially in the U.S., are, are being forced to think about it because yeah. they're in a public crisis and they can't ignore their 10% Somali population and they can't ignore the Arabic community that, I mean, you've got to get this public health information out there. Uh, and, all, and not just the public health information, but, you know, how do you access the aid package and, you know, how do, how do you 
do you go to the stores? Do you mask? Do you not? I know that for the profession, individual interpreters are experiencing this almost as Armageddon. You know, it's just a, it's just been catastrophic, the loss of on-site. We were a mostly on-site profession. All that's gone away. And of course, it it is even if you get yourself up and running to interpret remotely, it doesn't mean that all that work is still there because on the other side, the, the, the people you used to work for also are not ready to have you interpret remotely. So there's just this, it is just a, I don't even know what the term is to use, you know. But for me, underneath all that, what that means really for the communities we serve, for those of us who serve, you know, immigrant communities, is like, man, they already had bad angle you know it was already partial half-baked periodic access and now it's just it's it's just so much of it's been stripped out i mean completely like you know it's like if you used to have you know if if you as an on-site patient you used to get one or two touches a day you know now you might get none you know and for you know the health department information, it's what's it going out in it's Spanish? And maybe you know that for those people who have that in place, maybe they're getting it out in, in writing on websites. But I don't. That's not how I'm consuming my information about. I mean, I'm assuming people are probably trying to watch, you know, their their language news and their radio stations. And get, I mean, I'm assuming that's probably where they're getting their information and that those people are being are have actually replaced interpreting for so much of this information right now right wouldn't you i mean that they're 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 in their portuguese you know whatever their little radio station is and they're saying hey guys you know your health department just said this and they're they're basically doing the yeah and 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 whatsapp for certain percentage of the population which is unfortunate because there's a lot of a lot of misinformation you know, it's 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 a very different network. It's not based yeah. on journalism. Right. It just exacerbates all the disparities. You know that were right. there. The health disparities already, and then the language access disparities. I, one of the one of the people that I was able to interview, and I'm really excited about um, to share is is Vanessa Costa. You've probably mm-hmm. met her, mm-hmm. yeah. and she's doing such a good job at Cambridge Health. Shout out to Vanessa. <laughs> she's amazing yeah and you know what she told me which really makes sense is that they were already they were already so remote they had their own call center for over the phone and video interpreting at the at this large um healthcare system that she works at that she's the director of for interpreting services and she 90 percent 90 percent of their encounters were remote the vast majority of them being done by staff interpreters. Okay. Okay. In a call center. In a call center that they created. Yep. And so what they did was that they then um, moved them offsite and they were using the Cisco video phones, right? right? And then the, the providers were using iPads or phone or Cisco phones, but they were already at 90%. They're at a thousand encounters a day. Okay, 900 of them being phone or video with majority, vast majority of their staff handling that. And they were able to move them off site to their homes. They took the, the ones that wanted took their video phones. If they had the connection, they had the privacy. Right. And they've increased it. Now it's 99% remote. Right. A few people, you know, at the right. hospital a day. 
and they've increased it to I think she said 1300 a day encounters wow and that's because their infrastructure was there right yeah. we have those that general research that we had about 20 percent remote in the United States before the pandemic hit probably the majority of that I would bet was in healthcare and finance and some utility. I mean, in areas where you might not think, but healthcare obviously being yeah. the biggest place. Yeah. But, but, but when we, you know, even, even then, you know, interpreting services and language access services still only cover a percentage, <clears throat> excuse me, of our healthcare system, even though it's required, you know, cause you think about, I mean, I, I just know my own rural area. Yes, we have some interpreters at the two local hospitals and, and either, doctors and clinics hire bilingual staff where they don't have access particularly and so i think of all the rural places all the smaller clinics all the ancillary services all you know that where it did, didn't have even have that in place so there's a long ways to go i think it's like one in five in the u.s is that correct don't, people don't speak english at home i think about that that is you know a fifth of the population and this is one of those times when you can't leave a fifth behind. Like no. everybody needs to get this information. And then, I don't know, Elena, maybe with your podcast, with some of the magic, it's like, how can we get that message? Like you can't leave that many people behind you, and yeah. you, need a, you, you need us to help you. Keep Two of the journalists that I spoke to who were from smaller communities, they, they came at it as, oh, well, the patients don't have their family anymore. So how are they going to know what the doctors are saying? Right. You know, right. so I was like, wait a so minute, let me, let me back that up and tell was, you. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Where do I start? <laughs> let me, uh, there is so, this thing that's been around for 70 years. Oh, okay. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think part of that visibility that you were talking about before, you know, I've come to, to think of, terminology in a different way too because I don't really you know if you want to call me a translator that's really not a problem you know as long as you're talking about us and the work we do you know right. go ahead and, the, the and call bridge us a, for multilingual communication you know I I mean I'm hopeful too and I think I think we can all we can do is to try to, to try to like you said get a little bit of magic going so that it'll right. No, it's a good yeah, way. Well, we've got a lot of good people in this field and, you know, it, it is, it has matured tremendously over the last 30 years. You know, again, I, you know, I'm always mindful of the whole field and obviously the, in the conference side and other sides, it's, they've been at it for a little bit longer, but in the States, you know, it is primarily, we're, we're serving immigrants for the most part and legal and in health and in community. And, you know, we have some infrastructure and now, and, we need to leverage it as much as we can, yeah. even if it's not as, you know, as complete as we wish it were. I'm really happy. I think we touched upon the things that I wanted to talk about for okay. remote interpreting. So there's two more parts to the, to this that kind of to wrap up. The first okay. is just to talk very, you know, briefly about doing work that you love. I feel really lucky that I get to do work that I love that, keeps me going that moves me and I and I've been thinking more and more about what you know why that is and mm -hmm. kind of reflecting on that but then it's also you know that's a really privileged position to be in you know yeah. and I realize how lucky I am and how there's so many people that don't have those kind of choices and so I just wanted to kind of open up 
that for to see what your thoughts on are, are on that both you know with regard to the work that you do and and the idea of finding joy in in work well i think that's why honestly you know why do we have so many amazing people who work for next to nothing and and service-based professions, you know, it, it's because they feel the passion. I, I think especially, again, you know, for, for those who interpret on the immigrant side, they often Im, are immigrants. I'm not, you know, I know I'm, I'm definitely in the minority in our field in that way. I, you know, I grew up English speaking and white in Oregon and, you know, in the U.S., I'm not the normal, not the norm for our field, right? And so how many colleagues do I have who, you know, still who work for really low wages, doing something that's so important in, in healthcare teams where a lot of the team members are earning so much more than they are, right? And yet they couldn't do their work without that interpreter. They're not really. And, you know, and I think it is because they feel that passion and that satisfaction and, and, they, and it, is a, it is a way to work and earn money and do something you love, although it should be, you know, you should earn a whole lot more, right? And I've, I'm doubly privileged because, you know, it's like I was able to dedicate myself to profession and raise kids at the same time in a two, in a, you know, in a, in a, in a married situation where, you know, we were both earning and I wasn't earning the bulk, right? I mean, I don't know if I would have been, if I had really wanted to dedicate myself to this profession and I had been a single mom, I probably wouldn't have, I would have had to go, I don't know what I would have done. I don't know if I, honestly, I don't know if I'd be in the profession the same way because the, the paychecks are very, it takes a long time as a freelance trainer or educator or what we do to get to a place where you're earning on a regular basis, right? So I, I feel fortunate for all of fortunate for all those things for being middle class you know for having these resources and educate i mean there's so many things i feel fortunate for and and so that's one reason why i feel you know i've always felt that it was important to give back in whatever way i mean it sounds so cliche but i've this just i've always felt like okay you know this is it is a privilege to have to be in it's a privilege to be born american you're lucky to you know have all these resources and what can you do with it? How can you do something that's going to help other people? And that's, I've kind of came off that way and, and it still applies. So there's something about being that person who can be in that intimate intersection of helping people understand each other. That is such a, I don't know, it, it, it's such a important, I mean, I, I want, this is the word I want to use. It's like a sacred thing, you know, to have, to be there. And, and, to, and so for me, everything stems from that. How can I do that in the best possible way to honor the people's conversation? How can I help my colleagues as a teacher do the same? How much can I acknowledge, you know, the sacrifices and the people, you know, that we're making? I just keep, every time I go through my Instagram feed and I see pictures of our colleagues who are actually in the hospitals right now still working, you know, and I'm just like, oh man, like we're, you know, we're really on the front lines now. Yeah. Passion brings its gifts and it, it is that, you know, human communication is the most important thing we have in our lives. And we're lucky to be in a profession that helps promote it, I think. I'm still trying to think about how to best think about it and word it, but that, that connection that you have when 
you know, by bringing people together and by facilitating communication. And, you know, and I was talking about the, the two, the woods between the worlds that's in the, it's in the beginning of the, the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. And it, I, mm-hmm. I was reading it with my son and it's a beautiful idea. And you go into this woods and it's really still and quiet and nothing's happening. So it reminded me of kind of the sacredness. Right. And then from that woods, then you put on the right ring and you you go into different ponds and then you go into the into a different universe, into a different yeah. world, which I think we get we get to we get to do as interpreters and then we get to bring other people with us right. so that they can all, you know, be in this space that oh. So it's, it is, it's, it's, it can be a well, beautiful thing. I mean, how for me, I think about, I'll tell two, two really quick anecdotes that stick with me a lot. One was from early on in my career when I worked for a family who had a very severely, you know, a baby who had coded for 15 minutes and they brought him back and he had, he had like every single possible home service. And eventually I just, they brought me in and I kind of case managed all the appointments because, there, you know, there were just so many and I worked with this family for several years. We all got to know each other really well. They, I mean, I know I provided tremendous service for them being that bridge, but I will never forget the day when we went into a doctor's appointment and the doctor was very, very fluent in Spanish. And he just went forward and, and carried his care in the native language and the dad cried. Like he cried at the relief of not having to have me as the go-between, right? And there was something about that moment that has stuck with me my entire career. Like one, the absolute necessity to be as authentic as you can to get everyone's message across. And also just, we're still a pale comparison, you know, compared to that when people don't have to have us and it's, you know, and then the other really quick anecdote was a job I did this summer helping bird scientists from South America and the U.S. talk in a meeting. And a lot of these South American scientists were like, oh, I, we don't really need the interpreting, you know, but, you know, but we, we, there were a couple who really did. And you see by the end, you know, by the half, first half of the, you know, the, the middle of the first day, all of those people who actually spoke English quite well were picking up their headsets and, and using, working with the interpreters so that they could speak their part in Spanish and not have, and so they could actually have the depth and subtlety and the completeness of what they want to say come through because they can't in their English, you know, even being fairly bilingual. And so those things stick with me a lot. Like it's, it's a big privilege and a big responsibility what we do. So yeah. brings out a lot of passion. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay. So this is a very quick one. This is the All rapid right. fire and then we'll be done. So n- notepad or digital pad? Notepad for me still. Yep. Coffee or tea? Ooh, co- tea in the morning, coffee in the afternoon. <laughs> what about for language learning? Are you visual or are you learn by ear? Mm, pr- mm. I think at this point, probably ear. Yeah. Do you have any special object or totem that you take with you when you interpret? But I think my notepad. <laughs> my notepad and pen yeah that's that's yep. what i take no matter what i gotta have that yeah and and my and my dictionaries on my phone i mean those are my totems you know accounts yeah. <laughs> freelance or in-house oh well i've never actually you know experienced being an employed 
in-house interpreter. So I can't, I've always, you know, I mean, I actually would love to have that experience sometime. I think it would be, it'd be cool, but I've have, I've only done freelance. Okay. Is there a term or like a category of terms that never seem to stick or that give you trouble? Sometimes when you get into the, in Spanish where you've got seven syllables and words and you're just like, oh, oh man, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> and the final one is, can you name a favorite podcast? A favorite podcast in the field or just any favorite podcast? I listen to so many podcasts. You're asking a Gemini to say a favorite podcast. Let's see. That's right. I forgot you're a Gemini too. I know. I don't like, I don't like the favorite questions. That's why so many. I love favorite. I have, okay. Like favorite podcasts for me are those ones that take a moment in time, a scandal or something that happened and they, in like 10 episodes, they run you through it, you know, like, like the Watergate ones or the, you know, the, the ones about the, gymnastic scandal or something that takes some, you know, really walks you through in depth, like long form journalism. Those are my favorite podcasts. That's great. Yeah. Thank you, Catherine. This has been really good. I'm really happy. I'm so glad. Thank you for your time. Oh, thanks for, for doing work. this, Elena. I don't know how you have any time. So it's awesome. You're doing this podcast. I can't wait to subscribe and add it to my stitcher list. There you go. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> okay. And have a, have a good rest of your day and All weekend right. and Thanks so much. Hang Everything. tight, everyone. Be safe and get some rest. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Ciao. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Katherine Allen. Join us live for our debrief on January 27th of 2021. That's a Wednesday. And we'll do it at noon U.S. Eastern Time. New York and Toronto noontime on January 27th. We do this on our YouTube channel. If you want more information on that, you can check the notes of this show.